and turn. We're going to be in several places this morning. <coughs> Sorry. Colossians 1, and then right uh, close to that is Philippians 2. We're going to be in several spots this morning. Um, this morning, I've been looking forward to this. I love to, to, to preach on Christ as our King. Amen. We've talked about Christ fulfilling those Old Testament roles of prophet, priest, and, and today king. We talked about him being our prophet. We need a prophet to bring a word from God to address our ignorance. Right? I don't know who, who came up with the saying that ignorance is bliss, but in some things it's not. Amen? Um, ignorance is expensive. Isn't it? Like my ignorance of the difference between powdered sugar and flour could have been a disaster this morning. <laughs> but that's a light thing. But boy, our ignorance of who God is and His revelation and His law, that is, has deadly consequences. And God forever sent prophets to His people to bring a word from God to the people of God. All of that was a picture of Jesus. They were always three separate roles, three separate People fulfilled these roles. And boy, when the king thought he'd be full of himself and do what the priest did, it never worked out good in the scriptures. And yet all these roles combine in the person of Jesus. He is our prophet, our priest, and our king. So we need a prophet for my ignorance. I need a priest for my alienation. Isaiah was pretty clear, wasn't he, when he said, your sins have separated you from your God? Right? We are alienated. We are on the outs with God. That's a bad situation. And we're no longer ignorant because the prophet has told us God's standards. Amen? And we can't follow them. We can't complete them. And we need a priest. And just as the prophet brings the word from God to the people of God, listen to this. The priest offers sacrifices and goes to God, a holy God, on behalf of sinful man. But today, we're going to talk about a king. I need a prophet for my ignorance. I need a priest for my alienation. And Jesus did that perfectly. We, we looked at that last week. But today, we're going to look at the fact that I need a king for my rebellion. How many of you know on your best day, you're in trouble? Now say amen or ouch. Matter of fact, I think sometimes on our best day, we're in worse trouble than on our worst day because we think it's us and not him. I better stop that. I'm preaching to myself this morning. <laughs> Amen. Wow. I, I, we, we are so rebellious. Now, thankfully, through the new birth, the rebellion has moved from our spirit where it used to be to our flesh. And the flesh can be crucified. Amen. It can be put to death. But I need a king to help me do that. I need a king to remind me who's the king. Who's in charge. Y'all are sick of me saying this. I need to come up with a new saying, but it just fits so good here. There's only two people in the kingdom, and what are they? The king and the dumb, and you ain't the king, right? We need to know that. He's the king, and he, I need him for that rebellion that now lives in my flesh, Romans 7. So important to understand that, because now it's beatable. It's, I, can deal, I don't have to fail all the time. I, I, I can live victoriously because I got a king that rules over me in kindness. 
So I want to make this point, and I think it's on your paper. To, uh, I forgot to print papers, didn't I? But I need, a, as king, Jesus Christ is preeminent. Now, what does preeminent mean? Pre means before. Eminent means of importance, right? In other words, it means first place. There's nobody more important than Jesus. And again, can I commend you today? Not to, I'm not trying to build you up in pride, but I just want to say you're here. You know why you're here? Because Jesus is first place. Amen? And I'm not, I, I believe in grace too. And we had a wonderful service last night. The gospel was declared wonderful. Right? But I'm so glad you're here. Why? Because he's first place. And so because he's first place, that's got to mean some things. And let's run to the scriptures and look at exactly what that means. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17. I think that's, yeah, on the screen. Listen to what Paul says in his letter to the Colossians. And he, that's Jesus Christ, is before what, church? So that tells us the eternality of this king, right? He is the eternal second person of the Trinity. And in him, in, our, in Jesus Christ, look at this, all things consist. This is amazing. So, so that means come to be. He's the creator but he's also the sustainer. By the way, how many of you know that when Jesus takes his hands off of creation, it's gone? <laughs> he's holding it together. Look at this. And he's the head of the body. And he, he's not going to let us wonder what that is. The church, right? And like a body, the church functions, but Jesus is the head. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now look at this. That in all things he may have the... Preeminence, first place. Does he? Does he have first place in our lives today? I think that's a fair question. And it's one that we had better, we had better take seriously and answer. Amen, church? First place. Is he number one? Is he calling the shots? Right? That has so many implications. Not just for getting up and coming to church on a Christmas Sunday morning, but for everything. So, so let me, let me, let's look at our next uh, scripture. It's just a few pages over in Philippians chapter 2. We read this last night, but it's such a beautiful truth here. We're talking about Jesus having first place. He, he's earned it as king, right? Look at this. Let this mind or allow this mindset or attitude to be at home in your heart. I love how the, the Greek renders that, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have the same attitude and the mindset that King Jesus has. Well, what kind of attitude is that? Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. It's the eternality of Christ, second person of the Trinity. He, he, has, he has all the rights and powers of the Father. All right, next verse. But instead, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond slave, literally, and coming in the likeness of men. Just think about the reputation Jesus could have gained. He gained for himself a pretty good reputation just for the few things that he did. Can you imagine what he could have done? Anybody? With that unlimited power, can you imagine what kind of reputation King Jesus could have got for himself? By the way... This is free. It's not in my notes. But, but when he comes back, yeah. that's what he's coming with, right? 
He's going to build that rep when he comes back because he's going to reveal nothing. That glory that's in him, no longer is it going to be hidden. Matter of fact, the Bible says he's coming back with white robe, but the ends are dipped in what, church? Blood, the blood of his enemy. He is coming to finalize his rule and reign, but not the first time. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Look at this. And given him a name which is above what, church? Every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. King Jesus, our rescuing master, to the glory of God the Father. He is the king. What do you do to a king? You bow. You bend your knee. By the way, do you know why you do that to a sovereign king? I like what, uh, what's, the, what's the Scottish preacher, Alistair Begg? I love how he put it. I wish I could, I wish I had, could have his voice. He said, you stand when the king enters the room. You bow before him and you walk out facing him. You don't turn your back on he is the king. That's pretty good, isn't it? And then Romans eleven thirty six. I love this passage of scripture. He says this, for of him, that means it comes from him, right? Of him and through him and then back what? To him. You see the cycle? It's almost like I remember as a kid when I learned the hydraulic cycle. You know what the hydraulic cycle is? How water comes down from the heavens, hits the ground, ends up in an aquifer somewhere, gets evaporated back up, turns back into rain and comes down. Crazy thought, right? And, and it's all here. And it works great with the second law of thermodynamics, you know, that, that no matter is created or destroyed. It's all still here. And think about it. I might be drinking the same water Jesus drank. Think about it, because it's all still here, right? This is, this is the, the, the cycle of the sun, S-O-N. Everything comes from him, out from him, through his ordination, and comes back to him. To whom be what? Glory forever and ever. Amen. And let the church say amen. amen. He is preeminent. He deserves. He's first place. He is the king. And I just don't think we appreciate that. So three thoughts here, and I'm going to take a long time. And I do want to warn you that I'm going to spend the majority of the next few minutes just on this first thought, and the other two just kind of flow from that and make sense. So I'll not need to spend the time on those. And not even that I'll spend a lot of time on this. But here's the first thought here. Number one is that we must, because he's the king, we've got to execute his commands. We've got to do what he says. Right? The king gives orders. And why does he do that? Because it's in the best interest of his kingdom. And the Bible is very clear, and it, it describes you and I as citizens of the kingdom. Right? That, that has meaning. That means something. It should mean something. Right? That carries some weight to it. And we must execute the commands of our king. Jot this down if you're taking some notes. Luke 4. Uh, 646. It'll come up here on the screen. Here you go. There's just now this is Jesus talking. He said, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, Master, right? King, the one in control, and not do the things which I say. And there's an old saying for that, it's talking out of what? Both sides of your mouth. Right? 
saying one thing, doing another. John has something similar. He records in John 14, 15. John chapter 14 and verse number 15. Scripture says that Jesus put it this way. If you love me, what? Keep my command. Do what I say. Right? Don't talk on both sides of your mouth. Don't say one thing and do another. Because when we do that, we bring disgrace to our king. What has our king told us to do? What has been his main command? Well, I think you know. There's several of them, actually. He told us to love one another, as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love, if you display this agape love towards one another. Right? But the one that really comes to mind is found in the end of Matthew's gospel, isn't it? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This Jesus is leaving. And in Jesus' mind and understanding, not the disciples yet, they would get it in a little bit when the Holy Spirit falls. Not until then. But he gathers his guys. He says, it's a good thing that I'm going because you're going to get the Holy Spirit. It's better for you to have the Holy Spirit on the inside than me on the outside. I still struggle with that. But I, be I got to believe it because he's the king and he's, he's truthful. Amen. Here's what he says. And Jesus came and spoke to them. That's his disciples that are gathered. And it might have been more than a 12, by the way, but I, I digress there. It was, um, Judas was gone by now, so it was 11. But I think there might have even been more than just those guys. He says, all authority or power has been given to me where? No, notice this, where? Heaven. So who's he the king of? It, is there any other place in heaven and earth? He's the king of everything. His scope of his kingdom is not limited. So many times in Old and New Testament, he's called the king of kings and what? Lord, Lord of lords. He, he's over it all. Right? So I'm, I, I got this. All authority is given me in heaven and on earth. And because that's true, look at the next verse. Therefore, go. And, and the sense there is, is, is in my name. I'm sending you. And do what? What are we supposed to do as we're going? Make disciples, followers of Christ, of all the nations. That's a big deal when you're talking to a bunch of Jewish guys. Because who are they only focused on? Our buddies, right? The Jewish people, Israel. He said, no, all the nations. We're going everywhere with this message. And you're going to make followers, disciples. You know what we've done, and you know what we've done today? We, we've made decisions, not disciples. Some of you have made some decisions, but you're not a disciple. We've got to look in a mirror and ask ourselves some hard questions. Am I a follower? Or did I make a choice one day and then renege on that choice the next? We're to make disciples of everybody. And then, and, and then how, how do we kick that off? Well, we start with, with identification, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And once they get that first taste of obedience, you take the next step in the next verse. And that is, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. What's that mean? Teach them to do what, I tell you, what I've told you to do. It, it's a, you notice a theme? I'm the king. I give you the instructions. Go do what I say. Teach these new people to do the same thing. And don't forget, I'm always with you. I'm not sending you on a mission. I'm inviting you to join mine. I'm going with you. Isn't that good news this morning? Our king is with us. He, does, he doesn't send us to do stuff that he, he doesn't want to do or can't do. He says, no, I'm going. You come with me because I'm always with you until this whole thing's over and I pull the plug on it. And then Philippians 2 comes into place. What's Philippians 2? Every knee will bow. 
every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. I, I'm not telling you go do this. I'm saying, I'm, I'm going. You come with me. I'm always with you. What a great comfort that is, huh? Praise the Lord. Boy, our God is good. Okay, let, let, me, just, let me just make a couple of statements here, though, because we just gotta, we got to just be honest on this Christmas morning. We don't mind Jesus carrying the title as king as long as he doesn't tell me what to do. <laughs> uh-huh. Amen or ouch. That's an ouch. Oh, yeah, he's the king as long as he doesn't mess up my plans. Oh, yeah, he's the king as long as. Well, you know what? There's a place for people in the kingdom who don't obey the king, and it's nowhere you want to be. Am I right? And by the way, this, this kingdom is not a democracy. There's only one vote, and it's the vote of the king. And your vote don't matter. I, I tell my children that all the time. As parents, Tom, did you set up your house as a democracy? No way. It's a, it's a benevolent dictatorship. That's what I tell my kids all the time. I'm the dictator, and I, I'm benevolent. I'm good. I, I'm, I'm in it for you. But it's a benevolent dictatorship. Why? Because the immature outnumber the mature, at least in our house. There's eight of them, and only two of us. Right? This is no democracy. Jesus isn't asking your opinion. He's giving you orders. There's a difference between an order and opinion, and some of us have forgotten that. Amen? Alistair Begg said this. I listened to one of his sermons a while ago, and I wrote this down because it, it hurt my feelings. He's talking about Jesus in the triumphal entry, which is a phenomenal scene. And it's one that's a head-scratcher to me. Do you remember that? Comes in on that little baby donkey, right? And everyone's crying, what? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're singing a hallel out of, out of Psalm 118. And that's what you sang with the high priest as he brought the sacrificed lamb in, which he was doing at the other gate. And all the people left his parade and came to Jesus' parade. That was, really ticked those guys off. And, and, and behold your king riding on a donkey in the foal of a donkey. That was a sign of peace. And they're all in, right? They're taking their jackets off and laying them on the ground, palm branches. Man, come on, you're red carpet for you. Here's our, here's our Messiah. But they had some definitions of Messiah that Jesus didn't have, didn't they? Get us out from underneath the heel of a Roman boot. Can't wait to see those people get what's coming to them. That's not what Jesus was bringing. His kingdom was not of this world. And a few days later, matter of days, handful of days, those very, think about it, you ever thought about this? Those very same people that were crying Hosanna were, were in Pilate's courtyard, and what were they crying? Crucify him! Hail King Jesus, crucify him! And Alistair said this in his Scottish accent, he can get away with more stuff because he's got that accent. But he says, by our life choices, we cry Hosanna on Sunday and crucify him the rest of the week. Can I just ask you a question? I know this is a little different sermon. Not what you expect on Christmas Sunday, but how many of our actions in our everyday life 
by their actions cry out, crucify him instead of Hosanna. He's a king to be obeyed. We have to come to the point that we realize that Jesus has the final say-so over all my decisions, not just the ones he agrees with. I've said that in marriage. You know, a wife's submission to her husband and, and as she submits to Christ as king and submits to this fallen man. You know where submission shows up? Not in the stuff that you agree with him about. It's when you disagree. Can you submit then? What about when you know he's wrong as this fallen man and yet this is what he believes you need to do? Can you, can you submit to that? after making a wise appeal. I watched my wife do that. Submission shows up when you disagree with the decision. You do it anyway because of order. Because that's how God set it up. It's not just the decisions that Jesus agrees. What about the decisions he doesn't? Are we, are we bowing the knee to that one? Because at the end of the day, the ruler doesn't adjust to the rulee. It's the other way around. Jesus does not adjust to us. And he doesn't submit to our whims. We adjust to Jesus and submit to him. Because here's the reality, folks. Jesus is the king. He's not an accessory. You know, this, this beautiful little baby Jesus. Oh, he comes out. Right? I think sometimes this is how we view him. This is not him. He doesn't even look like this anymore. Right? He's coming back on a white horse with a sword proceeding from his mouth and his robes dipped in blood. That's not this. That's who he is right now, not this. Sometimes we treat King Jesus like he's still the baby in the manger. I remember reading a, a, a humorous story about this little boy who he told his mom what he wanted for Christmas. She said, Johnny, you have been so naughty. This whole year, you really think you're going get to get that for Christmas? She said, you go upstairs and, and uh, you, tell, you write a letter to God and tell him that's what you want for Christmas. So he went upstairs and he started writing this letter out. He said, dear God, I've been a very good boy this year. And he's like, no, I think God knows better than that. So he tore that one up. He said, dear God, I've really tried this year. And he said, no, that's not true. He's going to know better than that. So he, he gave up and he put his jacket on. And he walked down to a little Catholic church down the street and went up and knelt at the altar where the manger scene was. And when he said amen, he just quietly reached up and took that little baby Jesus and put him in his pocket and went home. He took out a new piece of paper and said, Dear God, I got your boy. If you ever want to see him again, send the bike. Right? I think that's how we treat this. I think that's how we look at baby Jesus anymore. Right? We're holding him hostage with our life. This is not him. He is a king, a risen king who beat death. You think he's not going to beat you? Do you think his way is not better than any of your best ideas? We got to execute his commands. And there are several of them. And when you get sick, we need to know them. We need to write them on our heart. And we need to get busy living them ruthlessly. Because he's the king. He's not an accessory. Kind of flowing from that 
is this idea also that because we execute His commands, what are His commands? His main command is to expand His kingdom. To expand His kingdom. Make it bigger. Right? And there's two places this needs to happen. First place this needs to happen is inside of you. I need, I need a kingdom, amen? I need a kingdom of, of, of Christ to expand in me. Right? And here's the beauty of that. I think that's up there, Sam, if you'll go to that screen, please. Um, yeah. Go to the next one. There it is. All right. So here's the idea. The more Christ's rule and reign expands in my life, what's going to happen with that? A couple of things. When, that ex when Christ's rule and reign expands in me, guess what there's no more room for? Sin and anything, a rebellion, because that's what my king does, right? He, 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 he rules over my rebellion. He pushes it out as he expands in me. Have you known a person, have you ever known a person in your life who the kingdom of God has just expanded in so much that you, it's like the first thing you notice? I've run into a few of those people in my life. Super salty Kingdom expanders, and you and why the kingdom's expanded in them. You know who I'm talking. You know these kind of people. I want to be. Don't you want to be that kind of person? We're to expand this kingdom first of all in us, and then when that happens, it just comes out of us, and we become those kind of people who also expand his kingdom where in others. You can't help it. Like I said last night, Christ as King is more. More contagious than COVID. It, the gospel just flows out of you. And by the way, it's called over and over again, the gospel of the kingdom. What does gospel mean? Thank you. Why is the kingdom good news? Because we need a king. We stink at being king of our lives. We're terrible at it. We leave a wake of broken relationships hurt feelings, and destroy lives in our path. But oh, when we have a good king to rule over us, what happens? What's behind us? It's joy, peace, love, righteousness, all these fruit of the kingdom. But here's the reality. Jesus is not a king who can be followed in your spare time because God's not interested in our leftovers. He's a king to rule and reign over our lives. And when he does, he expands the kingdom. I think that's where, where we got it off a little bit, maybe. Because, you know, I can lay this great guilt trip on you, and others are honestly better at it than me. But you've sat under those, those folks. A lot of them have the gift of evangelism, a spiritual gift. Now, we all have the responsibility. Let the church say amen. Right? But some people got a gift. And, and my, Elizabeth's dad, I love him. He will call it hurling. You would hurl your gift on other people. And that's not what it's supposed to do. But they can lay, stand up there and give you, just lay this massive guilt trip on you for not sharing the gospel. Here's the reality. Let the kingdom expand in you. Let Christ, invite the rule and reign of Christ in your life every single day. And say, my decisions aren't mine, they're yours. Whatever you say, do, we're doing it. Not even going to question it. Let's, let's just do life together. My king, what, would you what is your pleasure today? What would you have me to do? And oh, you watch what happens. You watch.
And I think what happens is Christ goes with us. We invite His rule and reign in our life, and when we do, He sets up the divine appointments. He's the one that says, tell this person about me. Right? And it's not a pressure thing. It's a relationship thing. But the reality is, I think we enter the kingdom. The, the Bible talks about entering the kingdom, the wide gate and the narrow gate. It's kind of like a doorway. I think what we do is we enter the kingdom through the threshold and we never go any further. We stay right at the door when God wants us to move on. And then the last thing, here's just a closing thought here, is that we've got to enjoy his company. <laughs> Amen? We've got to execute his orders, expand his kingdom, and we've got to enjoy his company. We've got to enjoy him. And that's part of the expansion of the kingdom in us, is enjoying our king. So I want you to do something today. I want you to invite the rule and reign of Christ, of King Jesus in your life, today. And I want you to enjoy him. I want you to go home and get with your family around the table. I want you to enjoy him. I want you to celebrate. I want you to do a, 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 a dress rehearsal, the marriage supper of the Lamb, at lunch today. That would please him. There should be great, raucous joy today as we celebrate the coming of our King and we, and we look forward to his second coming. And we should just enjoy him. And know that when we laugh around the table today, Jesus isn't mad. He's laughing with us. Does it not bring parents? Some of us have forgotten. Grandparents, does it not bring you great joy to see your children joyful, and more so your grandchildren? 